Okay, I did notice something this morning. Normally we have uh, the blessing of Rob and Linda here, um, and we do miss you guys. I know you're probably watching this morning on a well-deserved vacation, but since we've gotten a live band here, when, we're, when we retrograde to uh, video worship, you guys sing a lot louder, so it's really good. Rob is clearly um, forcing you all to sing, so that's good. Um, Hey, uh, good morning, and welcome to First Christian Church. Um, you know, I've had an interesting experience this week. I have an interesting experience every week, don't we all, right, in our crazy lives? But I was studying for this message today. It's uh, going to be out of Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 27. And it kind of revolutionized pieces of my faith. And um, I spend so much time in my faith that... It's hard to have kind of earth-shifting changes in it, if you know what I mean. And this message this morning did, or uh, this, yeah, this morning that I was preparing all week, though, really did it. And um, I knew it did when I had a um, lunch with a friend of mine who's going through some audit issues <laughs> at his work and, um, on Friday. And it turned into a two-hour witnessing conversation on the power of the gospel and the, the need for decisions about the gospel that was really positive. And I felt not only was I able to communicate some of this stuff to him well, but also I felt like, wow, I feel like this message has also given me some, some place to stand firm in my faith and to explain things a little easier, a little easier to understand to other people that have no background in faith. And so I think this message this morning is very important. And I, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture because I want you to have God's words and not just my feeble ones. And so if you, um, I would really encourage you to get out a pencil and a pen and your Bible if you do a paper. Well, any, get out your Bible anyway. Um, but if you would like at the end of this message to um, get like the references for the scriptures I'm using, I can, you can email me. And I'll have your email address that way, and I'll shoot back my notes that I'm going to read off of this morning. But this morning, what I want to talk about is, is the process of life, this proof of afterlife, if you will. And it, it really comes out of our, the study in the, in the verses in Luke chapter 20 kind of start this. But it occurs to me as I'm reading this that I'm going to have to explain a lot because there's a lot of stuff that is behind the things that Luke is, is writing in the passages that we're going to cover today. So rather than having to explain a lot, I thought I would just do the message on this. And, um, and it led to this idea of the proof of afterlife. So as I posted about an hour ago on Facebook, if you have um, ever wanted to know what the Christian idea of the process of life, life, death, afterlife, how that all works in a sort of simple, um, definitely uh, specific way, um, this is the message for you this morning, and I hope it gives you a lot of hope. So as I, as I look at this uh, through the lenses of my studies over the last two decades and, um, and my life experiences and, and my faith, I see the Bible describing very clearly four stages of life, four stages of life. And that's what I'm going to cover today. 
So the first stage that I see the Bible covering is that God has created us to live life here on his earth. Now, I know that sounds really simple to a lot of people in the room, but even that statement um, requires some faith because it's saying that God has created us and it's more, maybe more importantly to me for some reason um, that it points us to the fact that this is his earth. It's not, it's not some other realm's earth. It's not the people's earth. It's God's earth. He created all of this stuff. And so he has created us in this first stage of life to live it and live it well. The second stage of life that I see is that at death, we will metamorphosis, if you will, into eternal life. So let me just explain that for a second. Um, you know, for the Christian person, I've said this a lot. Death, in some ways, is the best thing that can happen to a follower of Jesus. Because what will happen at death, and the Bible calls it the little death or the first death, is that we will really metamorphosis into our our glorified bodies into our, the beginning of our eternal life. And so while everybody fears death on some level, COVID has really ramped that up, right? Um, I would like to encourage you to think about the fact, do you fear death or do you fear the process of dying, right? Or, and maybe it's not even fear. For me, um, right now anyway, I, I don't feel a lot of fear about the process of dying, but I have concerns. <laughs> There's a couple of ways I don't want to die and blah, blah, and I want it to be a long time from now and blah, blah, blah. But, but the idea is that I'm not afraid of dying. I'm concerned about the process, if that, and we'll unpack that a little bit more. Then there's the third stage of life, which is after this little death, this this first death, this metamorphosis, if you will, into our glorified bodies, we will be judged for this life. Every single human on the planet that has ever lived, is living, and ever will live is going to be judged by God, whether you like it or not. He created you. He has the right to do that. And he said very clearly in the Bible, which we'll unpack, that he will. And then after that judgment comes the final stage of life, which is basically those who re reject Christ will be cast into hell. I know that's a severe comment, but I'm just going to all unpack it. Or those who follow Jesus as both their Lord and their Savior will go on to eternal life on a new heavenly earth. So let me just sum it up. We live, that's what we're all doing right now, even if it feels like we're not. Um, we all live an earthly life. And then we have a process we identify as dying, which is, I think it's better to think of it as metamorphosing, but whatever you want to do there. And then after that, at some point, you know, the, the Bible actually isn't super clear if it's immediately, there are some scriptures to back that up, or if, there, if it's until Christ returns and pulls everybody up, because it's not clear about that, but that's mentioned too. Um, and it, and other passages, I think Paul got it really clear when he said, it'll seem instantaneous. It's, it's like this idea you've maybe heard of called soul sleep. And I, the reason they use that term is because of what you did last night. You went to bed, you fell asleep, 
and then your alarm went off way too early this morning, and you're like, I feel like I just fell asleep. <laughs> and that's, I think, exactly what it's going to be there. Yeah, Robert. Yeah. So, and it, that's not clear. And so because it's not clear, we're in a restoration church here. And so restoration church, um, we believe as a movement that we speak where the Bible speaks and we fool around where it's not, no, we're silent where it, where it's silent. Right. But the reality is we do fool. We try and figure it out. Right. So the Bible isn't absolutely clear on the timing of, uh, the little death, the metamorphosis and your judgment. Um, and so we just kind of, at best, leave the options open. But really, it's very clear that we will die and we will be judged. Okay, let me move on here. So let's take a look at these one at a time really quick. And this is really the bulk of this message. You know, Paul writes in Philippians, to, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that's kind of what I've said here. I'm living right now. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm following Jesus the, the best I can and hopefully a little bit more because we never do what, you know, our best is often more than we think. But God has created us to live right here on earth, on his earth. The apostle John records in his gospel that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, now that is... That is his staff, right? And it had a serpent on it. It's interesting that that's still the medical healing symbol, right? Is the staff with the serpents. But when Moses lifted up that, uh, he, that, that staff was created when the Israelites were being infested by poisonous snakes. And it was, it was a cure for that infestation supernaturally. But also later on, when the Israelites were being attacked by an invading army, or just by another army, they were sort of the invaders, but um, whenever Moses would hold that staff up, they would be winning in battle. When his arms got tired and the staff dropped, they would start losing. And so they assigned a couple of guys to Moses to hold his arms up, you know, <laughs> during the battle. So they'd win. So that's what he's saying here is just as Moses lifted up the serpent, his staff in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we, we know John 3.16 really well, right? But we, we don't know the verses that came before it very well, verses 14 and 15. And that's the full thing that I read this morning. But John, you know, the gospel of John, there's a reason why. You know, if you go online and you're like, I want to buy a new Bible or whatever, there's so many different copies of the Gospel of John available because it's a really good um, book of the Bible to just hand out to friends that are curious because he goes through quite deeply these things. And so later on in John, he also says, I am, uh, Jesus is speaking and he's recording it. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And John actually asked that question. So the idea here is that is back to the metamorphosis, right? We live this life. And as we become followers of Jesus, as we believe in Jesus as both our Lord and our Savior, 
we are removed from death. We will have the little death, we will have, but it's more of a metamorphosis. There is a second death that will come after judgment, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. We are exempt, at, followers of Jesus are exempt from that death, and that's a permanent death. So we've been promised by Jesus himself and affirmed in the Gospels and really throughout the whole Bible that through Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, we have the hope of an afterlife, an eternal life, and a continuation of our life in a far more glorious way. And so this is the heart of what Paul is getting to when he says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. It's somewhat of a negative view, and I strongly resonate with it. But the idea is think about Christ's life. He was God in some way we don't understand, poured into human flesh, lived out his life. And then when he really started serving other people for three years in his ministry with his, with his apostles, um, they end up crucifying him for it. And he has to pay that sin for all of us in this room and everybody in his creation. But he wanted to do that. He, he, had, he knew that work had to be done. And though he was the creator of life, as we read in John's gospel in the first chapter and in Genesis in the first chapter, when you see us, let us create man in our own image. Even though he was the creator of life, he also had to come and work and toil and be arrested and tortured and crucified to complete that work. And so when Paul says... A man who has been stoned to, you know, he gives that whole list of everything he's gone through at some point in one of his letters. You know, I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned to the point of death. I've been imprisoned. All this stuff is going on, right? I've had great. I've had, I've had plenty. I've had very little. Um, he gets the sense of, you know, to live is to echo Christ. Is we're trying, much like Jesus, to get through a world that's not great. <clears throat> it's not perfect, let me put it that way. Um, it's great in the sense that it was created by God, and, and there's just tremendous amounts of beauty in it. But it's not heaven. It's not perfection. It's a fallen world, right? And so when you... with with that awareness comes like, oh, man, it's tough to get through life. But this is what I'm here for, much like Paul was, much like Jesus was. I'm here to have lunch with someone on a Friday and share the gospel for two hours. Not because I have an agenda, but because I understand this truth that I'm preaching this morning. And there's an eternal destination for every human being that ever will live on the earth. And I want everyone to go to the good destination, right? I'm, I'm going to get back to you, Robert. It's just hard on, online for people to hear these comments. And so for, for Paul, for me, for Jesus, to live is Christ and to die is actually gain, right? We metamorphose into this uh, glorified body into this glorified place, which actually I'll um, show you the Bible describes pretty clearly. Um, and so it's, that's where Paul is getting at here. But after the earthly life we're living right now, we know there's a second stage, which is at death, as I've been saying, we will metamorphosis into eternal life. 
And the last enemy, the last thing that hurts us, right? The last thing that hurt Christ, the last thing that hurt every apostle and many of the prophets, the last thing is death and that will be abolished through Christ because we will not die. Christ has already promised that in scriptures I've read to you already this morning. It's the process of metamorphosis that is hard and we will die to this world. We will die to this body, which is probably good, um, but we will metamorphosis into something more glorious, beautiful, and eternal. We know we're to die this little death, but we know there's so much better coming. Or as the Apostle Paul wrote, when he's thinking about this metamorphosis, when he's thinking about this process, and oh my goodness, if, I, if I'm paying attention to Christ, which I am, and he's revealing things to me as I write the, in books of the Bible, I realize where, oh death, is your victory. Where, oh death, is your sting. Because there is no victory Death has no victory in the death of a follower of Christ. I've been at the bedside of many people over the last two decades I've been pastoring, and, and before, as a human, you guys have been too. Um, and for the Christian person, it's still scary, right? Because we still don't understand the process. But there's just such a peace to that. I've been at the, at the deathbed of non-believers too. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Because everyone that I'm at the deathbed of, usually, unless a hospital calls me, is someone I know and love. And so when that person is an unbeliever, and not a person that's not following Christ, I know that they're, they're going to metamorphose like I will in a different way. But what that'll land to, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, is uh, judgment. And it will be bad for them. And I don't want them that for them because I love them. And the more I have Christ in my heart and my soul and myself, the more I love other people that I could have never tolerated before <laughs> and people I've always loved, right? And so it becomes a greater and greater, like not burden, that's not the right thing. Um, it's not on us to save people, right? I preach that all the time. It's on us to plan a seed, it was on me to see an opening in a conversation on Friday at lunch and just put out, plant a little seed and see what happens. And like that person sprouted a little. I was like, oh, all right, well, if you want to keep talking and pour a little water on it, you know, and just, it, but God has to cause the growth, right? It's not up to me. I can't save a single person. All I can do is be the messenger. All I can do is I've been preaching the last couple of weeks because Luke uses this term. I can bring the kingdom of God close to them. That's all I can do. And that's what I've dedicated my life to do through pastoring. And then Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians, he writes um, this, this passage actually on the, on the slide. The last enemy that will be abolished is death because it gives us such courage and such encouragement. But God also knows that this is a really difficult thing. None of us are like, please kill me now. You know, like I really want to die right now um, or very few of us, uh, hopefully, but none of us really are that way. It's, it's not meant to be that way by God. We have a lot to do here for the Lord because there's a lot at work against the Lord here. Jesus didn't just get born and die. 
He had to grow in, he was about 33 years old when he was crucified. And so he had 33 years of life in a finite human body in some way we don't understand, even though he was an infinite God in a way we don't understand. And so we have work to do, and this becomes more and more clear as we unpack this. But God also knows this is a struggle for us, right? Who wants to live a life of struggle? Who wants to live a life of, oh my goodness, you know, um, I've been driving my wife crazy. Uh, a show I watched recently, uh, one of my favorite character on the show made the statement, life is a suffering that must be endured. And I'm like, that is so true. And, you know, my wife rightly points out, that is so depressing. <laughs> Stop it. Um, and it's not really how I feel internally because I have so much hope and joy uh, in life with Christ. But, but there's a lot of that. And, and God knows that. And so he makes statements like uh, John again, of course, writes, uh, it's, it's Jesus speaking. And he says, hey, my sheep listen to my voice. That's us, dumb sheep. My sheep listens to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. There it is. And they will never perish. Don't be afraid. You're never going to die in Christ. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, he's speaking to God himself, right? My father who has given them to me is greater than all. He doesn't say all people. He says all, greater than everything. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So there's, there's birth, there's life, there's this metamorphosis death that isn't death for us, the little death. That's why I prefer the term metamorphosis, which I know isn't biblical. But, And then there's judgment. Paul writes, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul writes in, in other places, we're saved by faith, not by works. So don't get this wrong. It's easy to get this wrong. We can't do anything to earn our way to heaven. We need, our greatest deed needs to be an understanding and accepting of Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And then we're judged by our deeds. See, Jesus saves us from permanent death. That's why he's our savior. But he's also supposed to be Lord of our lives. And so that indicates a deeds situation where he's calling the shots. He's our commander. He's our Lord. He's our king, however you want to say it. And so we, the more and more we live our life for him in obedience to him, the more we are like him, the more he is Lord of our life, the greater our deeds. I hope that makes sense. My, this is where I struggle as a person because, uh, well, one, I'm just judgmental. I try really hard not to be, uh, but I got to confess that a little bit. And, but also, there's just so many people that self-identify as Christians and their life just does not reflect that. And it's such a horrible witness to Christ. You think of things, uh, even churches like Westboro Baptist I was reading about earlier this week who have just said horrible things to the world that have, in my opinion, little to nothing to do with Christ. And I, I know it horrifies God. 
because Christ paid this huge price. And in that price, he said, look, I'm going to give you a new commandment. This is all you guys need to do. Love each other as I have loved you. And there are so many things that happen in this world, even by Christians, that misrepresent that or represent the complete opposite. That it, I imagine it horrifies, it grieves God and will be judged by that. And so we have to be really careful about how we live our lives. We have to be really intentional about how we live our lives. This is why Paul says things like, you know, at the time, most of the meat in that area, you know, there, were, there was so much idolatry that it was being sacrificed to idols and then just kind of taken and sold on the market because they did their whole, okay, now I'm blessed by this fake idol and now I can go make money. And so... There was this whole movement of, man, we need to all become vegetarians or really be careful about our meat because we know all this has been sacrificed to idols. We don't want to take care of that. And Paul said, wait, 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 wait. Nothing, the idols are fake. Like they're just wood and stone. And so if you, when these, this meat has been offered to idols, that's just humanity being stupid. What it, it's meat, it's intended it's intended to live, it's a creature of God's, and then it's intended to nourish us. So we can eat of that and be clear of that. But if you're around somebody that still is feeling sensitive to that, I was raised Jewish, so I really struggle with pork products still. I'm sorry, I'm just, it's just, I guess this is confession morning for me. But don't get me wrong, bacon is the best meat on the planet. But I really struggle to eat like a tenderloin or a pork chop. I don't know. It's just something that's been ingrained in me as a, ch as a child. And so, you know, I tend to avoid that. I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody, oh, I don't eat that because it's unclean, because that's, that's a, not true. But it's that kind of feeling. Paul said, you know, if it makes someone uneasy, and he calls them a weaker brother, or we would say brother or sister, then just don't do it around them. Do it another night barbecue burgers that night and then switch back to your, you know, pork chops tomorrow. Um, all these kinds of things. And so this is what he's getting at is this whole idea of, you know, having everything that we do, all of our deeds be a reflection of Jesus in our lives. Our commitment to our local body of Christ, our fellowship, right? Either online nowadays you know, they didn't have that then, they didn't foresee that then, or here, making, making uh, a constant and consistent attempt to prioritize church wherever you go to church. Not because it's church, because you are the church, biblically, but because Paul, well, somebody, the unknown author of Hebrews says, um, don't give up gathering together as some have done, but rather gather and encourage each other in your faith. And so we're instructed by God's word to gather together. And there's something powerful that happens in that, that just kind of doesn't happen at home or when we're alone. Right. But we've got to prioritize that. Jesus says the church is the bride of Christ and that we are in charge of presenting that bride, which is all of us together, spotless and blameless to take care of them. That's where it says, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Um, loves the church, sorry. And so we need to be doing those things, prioritizing, you know, a church gathering, prioritizing being in God's word, reading his word, scripture, prioritizing communicating with God through prayer, prioritizing 
excising anything out of our lives that we just know God's not going to appreciate. I work on this quite a bit, actually, in my own life. I don't have a lot to to cut out. Um, What you see is what you're getting from me. I know you have to take my word for it, but I do work on things because I want to try and just be more and more like Christ. I want to follow him more closely. And not just because I'm going to be judged based on my deeds. I'll be happy to sweep a corner of heaven with a broom for eternity if I can just get in. Um, but, but so that I, I know it's the truth. I know it's the right way to live. And as, as I've cut out major things in my life at the beginning of my walk, um, it made my life better. It's proven out in my life. And so these deeds are so important. You know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, oh, I'm sorry, the Apostle John um, again writes about this a little bit. And he says, you know, with this, as far as this judgment's concerned, don't be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out. And so that's a passage towards uh, soul sleep, if you will. It's the easiest phrase to use where there are people that have been dead for a long time and they come out, right, at his word. Um, And so that's one passage that supports that. We just don't know the timing there. But he goes on to say, those who did the good deeds are coming out to a resurrection of life. And those who committed the bad deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And Paul is warning us through a lot of his writings, especially in the book of Romans, which is one of the hardest hitting books of the Bible, to be careful in this life we're living in now because of the judgment to come. And he writes in Romans, you know, this really harsh uh, scripture where he says in, in Romans 2, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will repay each person according to his deeds. There it is again. He will repay everyone, all humanity, believers and unbelievers alike, according to their deeds. Now, be clear here. Paul says again, I'm going to say this, we're saved by grace, a belief in Christ, not by works, so that none of us can boast that like, hey, I'm good enough to get into heaven, right? But... It's also very clear that we're going to be judged at some point based on those deeds. Scripture, you know, speaks over and over and over about this first greatest deed being what you did with Jesus. I had this conversation, like I said, with this guy Friday. And, you know, you've all had these conversations. They go everywhere, right? Well, I believe there's one good God, or I believe that all religions are expression of the same God, or, you know, there's just a million things, or I don't believe in Jesus as God. Um, I believe in him as a really good person who was a great social engineer. I hear that one a lot, which is weird. Um, And I said, I said to him, that's fine. You can have all these ideas, but you know, the Bible's really clear in telling us that the only thing that matters when we get to heaven, when we get before, when we get to judgment, is what we've done with Jesus. And so what do you believe in Jesus? Well, you know, 
I think that's just the Christian expression. I, I believe there's this and this, and, and I let him go on for five or 10 minutes. And I said, all right, well, did you notice you squirmed out of that? So what are you, what are you doing with Jesus? Well, and then he goes on five or 10 minutes in a different direction. Very good comments and, uh, you know, arguments a bad term to use in my opinion, because it was a great discussion. Had all these other things, most of which I've heard from the world before. And I, I'm not interested in debating that. I'm just like, okay, I, I see the logic in what you're saying on, uh, from a human standpoint. But the Bible tells me the only, the greatest deed that I'm going to be judged on is what I'm going to do with Jesus. And, and there'll be two different eternal destinations we'll cover in a minute that come from what you did with Jesus. So what are you doing with Jesus? And I never got an answer from this guy. And I just kept putting him back there and putting him back there. And I enjoyed what he was saying. I enjoyed the conversation. I'm encouraging you guys to think about this as you share Christ with other people. I'm enjoying all of that. But it brought a lot of clarity to me, clarity to me where I said, the only thing that matters is what you do with Jesus. And even when he said, well, what about people that don't know about Jesus? What about the person that was brought up, was born into an Islamic family, was born into a Buddhist family, was born into a tribal uh, family, you know, all these other things. And the Bible's actually pretty clear about that, too. It's interesting that that became the biggest question that drove the most people out of church in the early 2000s, when the answer is pretty basic. The answer is what the old theologians used to call general revelation. The Bible is really clear that you'll be held accountable to what you did with Jesus to the amount that you know of him. So if you're raised in an Islamic family and you haven't heard about Jesus, there could be a case made for the fact that you're still going to end up in heaven. And it makes sense if you think about God because he's a father that loves you regardless of what you're doing with life. But he isn't a God looking for ways to condemn you. But once you start to understand more and you learn about Jesus, then you've got to make a decision. And I told my friend I was having lunch with, I said, maybe the worst people on earth are missionaries, Christian missionaries. And he was like, like, I just saw someone do it in the audience, but he was like, wait, what? And I said, well, if you think about it, they're bringing the knowledge of Christ to people. So now they've really forced a decision from these people, right? Whereas before, maybe they had a better chance. I don't know. But, and, and so that is, it's not crystal clear in the Bible, so I'm hesitant, but it's pretty darn clear. And it's called general revelation. God will reveal himself to you through his creation, and you are held accountable to responding to him to the best of the knowledge that he has given of you. And so when you hear someone making the argument, what about the person that's born a Buddhist? What about the person that's, that's born into an atheist family? Well, that's why we push so hard for everybody on the planet to know Christ. Not only because then we absolutely assure their salvation as best as we can, it's not our job, but also because for right now on this earth before metamorphosis, it makes for a better life. And we don't say that. Scripture says that. And we say that with our witness. That's why St. Francis is credited with saying, wherever you go, bring the gospel with you. 
and, and, and preach the gospel. And when all else fails, use your words because it should be your lifestyle, your deeds first. Robert, I'll, I'll come back to you, buddy. Um, so I, I want you to bear with me for a minute and I want to read you the main passage about um, judgment because it's a little bit long. It's written by Matthew in his gospel, but it makes judgment, that judgment scene really clear. Matthew writes, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, so that's the moment of rapture, right? That's the moment where Jesus returns to the earth with all of his angels. Notice it doesn't say, and with his people, it says with angels. But anyway, when, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from the other, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right. The right-hand uh, side of theology is always considered royalty or the place of honor, right? Um, that's why kings always sit on the right and queens always sit on the left um, in humanity. But anyway, he will separate them one from there. He'll put the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit my kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. These are deeds. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous, you know, those people that he's speaking of, they'll say to him, wait a minute, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or, or naked and we clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it, deeds, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine. It's interesting there because usually they don't mention the female side of things. And this, in this particular spot, he's making a point to mention that. Anything, anything that you do to one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then he'll also say to those on his left, the goats, right? Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. There's your call to Christ right there. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he'll answer them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. And these people will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So these are the scriptural references of the final destinations for all people, right? Either into eternal life or into eternal hell. And that's harsh. No one wants to hear that. Everybody asks, how can a good God do that? And my answer, frankly, is always, I don't know. Um, but I have to go with God's word. I trust that he's a good God. I trust that what he's done in my life and the life of others and I see poured out over the history of mankind is good. And so I trust him. And John also writes, the one who believes in the son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey 
the Son deeds. The one who does not obey the Son will, will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, here's what happens. When you get to the judgment, you have Christ. But Paul also says, there's none without sin. No, not one. For all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so we get to a place of holiness where God and sin do not exist together. And we come with our sin. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Eternal separation from God. It depends on how you see those things. And that's actually a very good picture of uh, what many people believe hell is. It's just, well, you didn't want me. You get what you want. Um, but it's a little trite because it's an eternal thing. But, but yeah, the wages of sinners is death. So when I'm standing in the judgment to be judged theoretically according to the Bible, just according to my deeds, well, I am because God, you know, this isn't how it works, but it's easier to understand it. God looks at me and, and sees me and Christ has all my sins. So it's just me without my sins. But if I don't accept Christ, then I have my sins and I got to pay for those because the wages of sin is death. Something has to die to take care of sin. That's the way God has set this system up for whatever his reason is. And so if you can't place that and give it to Christ, because that's what he asks us to do, that's the crazy thing. It's the gift of eternal life, right? If you can't place that into Christ's hands, if you can't trust him as the guy who's going to, the God who's going to save you from all of that nastiness, all that sin, and you, and you haven't lived your life with him as your Lord, knowing he's doing that and trying to live with him. Remember earlier, Matthew talks about um, doing good deeds and, and helping people and, you know, doing all these things God has asked us to do, loving each other as, as Jesus loved us to do this. Then that stays on me. And I've got to answer to that without Christ there. And so that doesn't work. And so I'm a goat. And I just get shoved over to the goat side. And that's why, especially if you're listening right now and, and you just don't agree with this stuff or you haven't or, or you're somewhere on the fence. That's why Christians, hopefully, are so concerned with bugging you about the gospel of Christ. Because it's love. You know, unfortunately, a lot of Christians, a lot of us, we have agendas and we're just driving that. I meet a lot of Christians that just want to win the argument, you know. And that's not the greatest way to approach that. And I apologize if that's been your experience. But the, the actual reason, the reason I spoke to this guy uh, Friday over lunch is because I care about him. I don't even really hardly know this guy. And there are things about his, his character eh, I'm not a big fan of. And there are a lot of things that I am. But none of that matters, you know. I wouldn't care if, if it was someone sitting across from me and they were gay or they were Republican, or they were Democrat, or they were, you know, just think of all the things that divides our society, right? All I care about is my love for them, and just wanting out of common human, and I would say godly compassion and dignity, to want to have them in eternity end up in a good spot. That's all that really matters. 
And all I have to do, it gets easier. All I have to do is just push in a seed. Oh, he wants to talk more. It sprouted. Um, pour a little water on there. I'm not in charge of growing it. That's God's job. And he says that. He's willing to take that on. But our deed is to get out there and talk about it. Our deed is to say, hey, you should come with me and listen to my pastor hopefully another church. No, I'm just kidding. Um, listen to my pastors uh, speak the message of God. Or you come sit on my couch with me. Um, I don't go to church because it's not safe for me right now, but I like to listen to it. Come over to my house, sit on my couch because I know you and you're safe. Have some coffee and we'll listen to these messages. Anything you can. Hey, we're having lunch today. Um, hey, are you a person of faith? I'm, I'm just curious. You know I am. I'm, you know, I'm not judgmental or anything. I'm just curious. And, you know, any way we can start these conversations because we have to be concerned about the eternal destination of everybody. Go, Jesus says, and love one another as I loved you. He was so concerned about your eternal destination that he died for you. And he's asking you to do the same. You know, as, as I want to recap where we are here, we have one more step. But so remember, we've talked so far that we are born into this life. We live it out, understanding, hopefully, that Jesus is the Lord of this. And through the Lordship, acquiring good deeds with our life. Knowing, though, that we're saved by grace with Christ. And so that's why he becomes our Savior as well. And we just try and follow that more and more in, in this life because it's his life. He created us and he created this earth. And then we, we what's commonly known as die, we metamorphose. We have the little death, the first death, if you will. I like metamorphosis. And then we're in heaven to be judged. And we're judged according to everything that we've talked about. And then there's a final destination for all of us. And it's a hard one. I start with the negative because I prefer to end on the positive. But those who reject Christ will be cast into hell. He says, depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That is really rough. Uh, uh, pro tip, don't lead with that when you're evangelizing. <laughs> um, it doesn't, it's not good. You know, and, and like, um, like it's been mentioned, a lot of people wonder if that's a metaphor for just being separated from God. I actually think, and as a restoration pastor, I'm called to preach what the Bible says, and it's not just a separation from God. It's a bad spot to be. But those who follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior will go on to eternal life on a new heavenly earth. And also, both of these come from Matthew 25. Come, you who are blessed of my Father, Inherit the kingdom for you, uh, prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. It's another interesting thing, and that brings us back, actually, to today's passage, Luke 20, which I'm just going to tap on. But we don't, we have this picture in our heads. We all say it. I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, heaven is a place of judgment for us. It's the new earth, the new heavens and the new earth combined in a way that is really the destination we want to be at. Heaven is simply a spot where you pass through 
to be directed to your destination, you know, whichever ticket you bought. And um, you either go down to the new heaven and new earth, there's probably no down, it's not a directional thing, or you're off to eternal damnation, right? And so this, this eternal damnation thing, they refer to it as a second death in the Bible. The Apostle John writes in Revelation that then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And, in, and further in Revelations, in the next chapter, he says, but for the cowardly and unbelievable and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters. It's interesting, I just noticed this morning that that is the list of the fruit of the flesh given in Galatians 5. Um, that, that I didn't put that together till I was going over that today, this morning. And all liars and their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But also our, our understanding, what is heaven going to be like, the new heaven and the new earth, not, not what's going on right now. And this is where Jesus gets called to task in the passage in Luke 20, verses 27. These are Sadducees that come up to him. They're Sadducees are Sadducees and Pharisees in the Jewish religion uh, back then, and they're the rulers. But the Sadducees are the top rulers. So they're the ones that had the top positions in the temple and the Jewish government. They're the ones that actually get Christ crucified eventually. So it's interesting that they're having this conversation with them. But what's interesting about them is the Pharisees believed uh, the idea of these four stages of life, very similar to the way I'm presenting it today and probably most of you believe. The Sadducees believe that this earth was, our, was God's plan for us and that we either just returned to God or were wiped out. It's more of an atheistic argument. So they didn't believe in an, a, in an afterlife and that bad joke always goes, that's why they're sad, you see. So that's how you can remember it, Sadducees. Um, so I had to tell the joke, because it, mostly because it makes it so easy to remember from there. So in verse 27, let me just read this through. It's them that's talking to him here. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. And they questioned him saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us. Let me break there for a minute. The Sadducees also only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the ones that are traditionally ascribed to being written by Moses. It's also known to the Jewish people as the Torah. And so they didn't believe in any of the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs. They kind of held it as deuterocanonical, so they like a second um, canon, but loosely. So they only believed in the first five. So that's why they're saying this here. Okay, back to this. They question him saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife, and he's childless, this is out of Deuteronomy, and he's childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. That's pretty cool, like, because women didn't have a lot of rights back then. And so when they're left without a, a man, uh, I apologize all you women, because we're all modern now, but back then, then they were left with nothing. And so God had set up in Deuteronomy this rule of, hey, since you guys are doing that, I want to make sure that like, the, if that guy had a brother, then he's responsible to take care of that wife, to marry that wife, give her property again and rights and children and all of that stuff. She's got to be taken care of. We want people to be taken care of. But now there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and died and he didn't have any kids. And the second 
brother, and then the third brother married her, because it all happened the same way. And in the same way, all seven of these brothers died, and none of them had children with her. And then finally, the woman dies. And in the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. It's interesting because it's actually kind of a logical, fun, logical discussion, but they don't believe in an afterlife. <laughs> so it's a false question. They're just trying to trap them. And Jesus says to them, you know, the sons of this age today, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age afterlife and the resurrection from the dead, neither, they don't marry, nor are they given in marriage. For they cannot even die anymore, because they're like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. And we would say daughters in today's contemporary society as well. Sons and daughters of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now... and. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Can you back one slide up for me, guys? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. That's in the passage right here I'm reading, verse 38. Because as I've shown, we don't die. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they don't die. Because they have lived up to the fullest revelation of, in our modern case, Christ that they had in a righteous way. It was before Christ came. So they followed God's laws the best that they could. And they were judged to not die through their deeds. And that is one of the proofs for we're judged by general revelation, by what we know about Christ. But God isn't the God of the dead. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, yeah, they died. You know, it's been a while. Um, if you're reading through the Old Testament in a year with us, there's a group of us doing that. I really encourage you. It's, it's intense. I encourage you to get on the Bible app and then um, friend request me after you set it up. And then I'll add you to the to the reading that we're doing together. And, you know, you can see other people's comments occasionally that they make. But we've just read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Today, we started Exodus chapter 1. And so that was kind of fascinating, too. We've read all 50 chapters of Genesis so far, and it's a rough read. I've never realized how rough Genesis is until this past. And I've read the Bible dozens of times. But God isn't the God of them, the dead people, because they haven't died. He's the God of the living for everybody lives to him. Some of the scribes answered him and said, Teacher, oh man, you've spoken well. <laughs> for they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. Like, oh boy, he had the answer and uh, yeah, we're out. <laughs> um, so that was interesting too. But what we read from Jesus himself is in heaven. Now get this, this is some picture you get of heaven. So it's important because people have all kinds of ideas about heaven. In a restoration movement, we're just trying to understand what the Bible says and get rid of as many human traditions and, and rituals as we can. We honor and respect those for what they do, but they're not biblical. We try really hard to sort them out. But Jesus himself here says a few things about heaven you can count on. 
There'll be no marriage in heaven. No one will be married. There's not a need for that anymore. But you'll also know each other. In other passages, it, it speaks to that. We'll be like angels. We'll be children of the resurrection. Resurrection is life. We'll be children of life. And God will be our God of the living us because we will be alive and not having suffered the second death. <coughs> so John speaks of this, of course, in Revelation. Uh, I think that's towards the back of the Bible, right? Um, it's the last book of the Bible. And I'm just going to read it quickly. But he speaks of, of what this experience is like emotionally and physically. So in the first seven verses of Revelation 21, it's the emotional um, traits of heaven, what you will experience emotionally in heaven. And he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth there, that new heaven, new earth. First heaven and the first earth had passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now remember, the church is the bride of Christ. And so this is speaking of us and, and Christ and, you know, the whole new Jerusalem coming down out of this new heaven as a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these are the words, these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes through Christ will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he'll be my son or daughter. And so what we see emotionally in heaven is that Christ is living with us again. Remember how he lived with, he would walk among the garden with Adam and Eve at first and how beautiful that must have been? That will reoccur. It will happen again. Um, and we'll see that in uh, the next section I read. There'll be the tree of life again there. It'll be the new garden of Eden, basically. And he'll walk among us. How many of you are frustrated that you're trying to live out this Christian faith without a physical Christ occasionally like hanging out with you? <laughs> and like, this is good. It's real. I promise you. Right. But he'll be living with us again and walking with us. And, you know, think about life right now. Think about that life is a suffering that must be endured. Horrible phrase. Right. There's going to be, according to Jesus speaking to John, there's going to be no sorrow, nothing to be sad about, no tears. There's not going to be any more death. We're done with death. That's been, you know, that's been abolished. No mourning for other people. No crying or pain. As e remember, as everything sinful has been permanently separated through the judgment. So there's nothing sinful that makes it to the new earth. It's only those that are, that are without sin that make it to earth. Those who have been judged in Christ. 
and it's a good place, needless to say. The last chapter of the Bible, spoiler alert, I'm going to read the, eventually the last verse of the Bible. So if you don't want to know how this ends, well, that's kind of weird, but um, you might not want to listen right now. But in Revelation 22, uh, John talks about in nine verses, he talks about the physical heaven that we'll be in. And so I want to read that to you. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life. There'll be two trees of life now, or that tree of life will span the river. Who knows, right? Bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. So that's, this is why I'm telling you this, John. Write it down so everybody at First Christian uh, in 2022 will be able to understand this. Uh, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, don't do that. It's an angel, right? I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of his book. Worship God instead. So what we see physically is there's a river of life in heaven. There's a tree of life in heaven that we will eat from and live, you know, continue to live. Um, forever. That's why, remember in Genesis, they said, we got to cast them out of this garden because they've eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it's bad now for them because they can see all this sorrow and hurtfulness. Man, what if they eat of the tree of life and have to live that way for all of eternity? We got to get them out of here, right? And so that's actually the main reason they were cast out of the garden of Eden. And so this is what Jesus has called us to, all of humanity, to this idea of living this life, to metamorphosizing into an eternal life through judgment that we can give the negative judgment to Christ as he's asked us to do as a gift and then end up in a, in a new earth as part of a new heaven. And one of the other things my friend said on Friday um, not too strongly. He's pretty much, I think he's a believer in Christ, but I've heard a lot of people say is, um, you know, Jesus was a good guy. He's not God, but he's a good guy. And I always go back to C.S. Lewis writing um, his Lord, lunatic, or liar argument where Jesus was really clear that he was God and that through him we would have eternal life. So how do you say that he was a good guy if he claimed to be God but wasn't? And he claimed that we had to follow him to get to heaven, but we don't. So either he is the Lord, or he's lying, or he's crazy. So it's Lord, lunatic, or liar. And you can't have it any other way. Because the scripture won't support any other way. And so Jesus, this is the one thing I haven't said yet, is this is the last time Jesus will have an encounter with 
the religious rulers, with the Sadducees in particular. The next time he has an encounter with them, I just saw a cat walk right by our front door. Okay, the next time, squirrel, the next time he has an encounter with the religious rulers, with the Sadducees, it's when he's standing up next to Pilate and they're screaming, crucify him, right? So this is it. We have to remember this is the last couple of days of his life that we're preaching out of. And so he's, he's going to make his point. He knows this is the last chance he has to put in a word with these religious rulers. And so he wants them one last time to consider him as Lord and Savior. And so he says, hey, he says to them in verse 41, how is it that they say the Christ is David's son? So the Christ is supposed to come, is supposed to be one of David's sons, King David come from his lineage. Matthew points out very clearly that, that Jesus does come down through the lineage of, of David. But, but Jesus asked him, how, how is it that they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So hang on a second. So verse 44, David calls him Lord so how is he also his son? In other words, you guys are missing this. You're missing this. And he doesn't tell them, which I found very interesting and hard, frankly. He doesn't say, you know, I come from David's lineage. You know that, right? He doesn't actually say that. Ugh. And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, beware of these scribes. Scribes, remember, were lawyers of the time. Beware of these people that are trying to make all these laws, these Jewish laws, right? Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogue and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. That's super harsh. At the time, <laughs> it's interesting, this is why you have to know so much backstory. At the time, there was a law where uh, widows, particularly women widows, were encouraged to leave everything they had when they died to the local synagogue. And so that's what he's referring to. Like, you don't even want them supporting their own families, their own children they had. You're, you're telling them they have to give all their money to the church. And he's not, he's not keen on that. Jesus is clearly saying, mm, they're gonna get, you're going to get greater condemnation. How are you loving each other as I've loved you? Although he can't really say that to them, right? So he doesn't. But you want to just take everybody's money like the rest of the world. That's not what this is about. And what he's really driving at is the fact that I am the Messiah. I am that son of David that David called Lord. Come and sit with me, Lord. And I want to echo one last thing to everybody that's listening to today, to this morning. I almost said tonight. Man, I'm tired. Um, I, want, I want to plead to you for Jesus. Not because I want to grow a church, not because I want everybody to do things my way, not because I think all of you people without Christ are terrible people, none of that. I want to plead to you the cause of Christ because that is your 
eternal destination decision point. And if you don't have Christ in your life, if you're not following him as not only your savior to get out of jail free card, but your Lord, because you're going to be judged for your deeds. He's told you to do stuff. Did you do it? That kind of thing. If that's not you, if you're not a follower of him, I, you know, I believe it doesn't matter what you think. It's going to go really badly for you when you die. And what if I'm right? I would encourage you that are thinking, mm, yeah, it's just more Christian stuff. Dig in, prove me wrong. I mean, that's how I came to faith is trying to prove Christ wrong, trying to prove Christianity is kind of this weak religion for weak people. Dig in because this is the most important decision of every decision in your life you'll ever make. Because this life, if you're lucky, maybe a hundred years, eternal life is significantly longer. It's forever. And it matters so much more. John wrote in one of his letters, he says, you who have the son has the life, but you who do not have the son of God does not have the life. These things have been written to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Anything. I have some next steps for you this week to help kind of process this. You know, you might memorize Luke 20, 25. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living for all live to him. And apply that to yourself personally. Let that infuse your spirit as you think about the fleeting life that we live here, the death and then the eternal life. Let that infuse into you this idea of metamorphosis, of this idea of uh, obtaining that glorified body in a new heaven and a new earth. You might discuss with your family around the dinner tables how I always see this one, but it could be with friends and stuff too. How, how well do I understand the four stages of life? Do I accept this stuff that Scott said that the Bible talks about? Or do I have different ideas? Like, it's all good. Let's talk about it. It's really fun. Um, don't, you actually can have discussions. You don't have to worry about arguing. And then putting it into action as followers of Christ, we will be judged by our deeds. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? Both in, in yourself and how you're following after God and prioritizing God in your life, but also for others, for those lunch encounters, for those work encounters, for those family encounters. The last verse uh, in the Bible I'll close with this this morning, finally. Um, last two verses. This is the very last two um, verses in the entire Bible. And it says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, Ooh, I thank you for this morning. Um, I, have, I hope my feeble words haven't overcomplicated things as I see I've gone long. And I hope this simplifies things, has brought revelation to people that are listening right now. Not only just for those in this room, those who are watching online, but a 
especially for those who just don't understand this idea of you in the world and after this world. I pray that this has brought clarity, that this has brought questions, that this has brought concern. I pray that this will convict all of us to, to live our lives following you more closely, getting covered in the dust of your sandals, Jesus. I pray that we will grow and learn and live from this and the kingdom of God would be glorified and our lives would be glorified in the process. I think of the revolution of people all over the world catching this vision for the God who just says, go love each other like I loved you and how different this world would be. Help us to begin that by living it out in our piece of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite Kyle up and uh, give us a communion meditation. Thank you. All right, Michael, am I on? All right, cool. I can never hear because I always talk so loud anyway. All right, perfect. Well, Scott has given us a lot to think about, and uh, if you're at home right now, uh, now would be the time to get your communion elements ready. I'm going to just like to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Well, before I pray for us and before we take communion together, in light of that scripture and today's message, I would actually, I'm going to give us about 30 seconds. It's going to seem like a long time. About 30 seconds, and I want us all just to reflect and really think and dwell on what Scott has shared today. And moreover, well, to examine ourselves. And maybe you're sitting here or you're watching online, so you're sitting there or you're standing somewhere. It doesn't really matter where. But perhaps you haven't made a commitment or a decision to follow Jesus, and today might be a day to do that or to recommit. And perhaps this will be your first communion in doing so. Just some more food for thought. But I'd like to give us a few moments to reflect and do some personal introspective thinking about currently where I stand with God, where I stand with Jesus, and ultimately what he's calling me to do and, and his sacrifice. So please take a few moments, um, just in the quietness of the hum of the electronics, um, just ask God, you know, Father, what is it that I maybe have shied away from or turned a blind eye to, God, something that you're calling me to repent of and to turn over to you.
So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you uh, for the convicting and challenging words that you've spoken through Scott. We thank you for your spirit, which convicts us, God. Doesn't condemn us, but convicts us, challenges us, and reminds us of who you are, who you've called us to be, and how you've called us to respond to you. Father, I ask that for myself, that my examination of myself and of my heart and of my spiritual health isn't just during communion, but Father, it's something I'm able to reflect on because of the wisdom you have distilled down to me every day. So Father, we thank you for this day. You know I pray. Amen. Barry, it's all you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Kyle, for a reminder. There's a lot to think about when we start thinking about eternal life and and what God is doing. And that, in in my simple mind, sometimes I think, you know, in the big picture, God is basically trying to restore us to the original relationship that we that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden before sin came. He just wants to bring that relationship back. That's his goal for us. So, in God's picture. So, a few announcements this week. Um, I want to list a few prayer requests. Um, I mentioned earlier as we started, um, praying for Susan Leary. She had fallen a few weeks ago and broken an arm and injured a hip in that, and so has been struggling to you know, get her mobility back. So, prayer for her, and then, of course, her husband John is helping. John Leary is helping her in that, and so he's kind of tied up for a while as well. So, pray for both of them. Also wanted to lift up um, a friend I know that um, Scott and, and his family knows, and a few of you know, um, it's a missionary that's been in Africa um, named Tom Aylard, um, and that, and he, they've been just, they just came back from Africa and that, and he just recently got diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And if any of you know about that, that's not curable. Um, they don't have any, prog very little prognosis of healing there. So just prayer for Tom Aylard and his family as well. And that. Um, other things going on, um, again, continue to, um, if you have blankets and, and coats, um, socks and that, we've got a fairly good supply in the back corner. You can see it out the window behind Michael there. But we can continue to provide blankets and, and, and hats and, and coats and that to the homeless. Um, and the homeless, the, the, you know, the local homeless group comes by almost a weekly to pick up supplies. So they were kind of continuing to do that, I'm assuming. And that. So I pray. Continue to look at if you have extra supplies, um, bring them in. Um, we are making a difference for those that are out in the elements. And then lastly, we do have a number of, of classes going on or coming up. Um, our Sermon 2.0 is continuing um, on Wednesday night, so if you're interested in, in getting connected with that, let me know, um, and I can send you the link to that. That's online. Yeah. Oh, my good. I well, all right, we're going to finish with that. So let, let me pray. We'll finish praying, and then, then we'll sing, too. I think it's appropriate. 
I don't want to embarrass Chuck or anything, but we can't help it. I do. Um, so anyway, so we have the online. There's also a Thursday night class that meets at Dan Asbitt's um, house. So those are ongoing classes. Um, but coming up, not the next Sunday, but the Sunday after, so the 6th of February, we're going to be starting a, two new in-person classes here at church right after service. And that, and so um, Scott is going to be leading a, on the 101 class called Foundations of Faith. It's really a look into the the foundations of what we believe and why we believe, and, and partly getting into what does this church believe, you know, and, and how do we approach things. So it's a great intro to your faith as well as intro to the church and that. So it should be a really good study. Again, that'll be in person, and I think Scott's going to try to do it live also and do a live stream, so I'm going to let him figure that one out. Um, but we'll try that. And then um, I'm also at the same time going to be leading a 201 class called um, Habits of a Disciple, where we're going to be looking at what are the the key habits and lifestyles of a disciple of Jesus. What are the things that characterize a disciple? And that looking at things like prayer and, you know, and times of devotion and, and just various habits that God is developing in us. So both of those classes will be at 1145 on Sunday and we'll meet at two different rooms in the church here. And that. So if you're interested in, in being a part of that, um, connect with me and Scott and let us know so we can kind of prepare how many people we'll have. Um, but we're excited about being able to do some in-person classes again. And I know for some, you know, they're not ready to do in-person classes and that. Um, we understand that as well, but um, it's a chance. Yes. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're, we're back to that, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you. No, I'm going to pray in a minute, so I'll remember that. So. So anyway, so a couple of new classes starting February 6th, so I really encourage you to get involved in that. This should be really good. There should be some great discussions. I've actually missed, I, I enjoy teaching on Zoom, but I much prefer teaching in person. There's just something about being in person. Um, I connect better. So anyway, so those are coming up. So I just wanted to make sure you guys are aware of that and, and are ready for that. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll do a few other things. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here with us. Father, for, thank you for your word that Scott presented this morning, that Lord, there's there's more to this life than what we just see here and now. Um, but you have eternal life planned for us. And your heart, your desire, your love for your all people is that they be with you in that eternal life, in that new heaven and new earth. So, Father, guide us to that. Help us to make that choice, but help us to introduce others to that as well. And so guide us, Father. I do lift up those that are struggling and need healing right now for Susan Leary. Um, and pray for your special healing for her. Help her to get back on her feet, to be able to get mobile again and, and walk well. And so be with them, he and, her and John. Um, be with Tom Aylard and his family as he deals with the um, decisions about what to do about this cancer and what treatments. Um, so I pray, I pray for your, your special healing for Tom. Um, Father, be with um, the others that need healing. Father, my sister-in-law, Lynn, there's many others that need special healing, and I pray you would bring that now. Um, and as mentioned this morning, we do bring about rain. Um, our California is dry again, and we need more refreshing rain. I pray in February it would be a great rain month. So guide us in that, provide for those needs. And Father, thank you for all the blessings you give us. Father, help us to go out and share those blessings with those around us. Thank you for this chance to be together, either at home or here in person. And we pray for your blessing, Father, on each of our families here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You guys ready to sing a little happy birthday to Chuck? Can you handle it, Chuck? 
All right. Oh, we got to stand up. This is like you know, celebration stuff. So this is kind of our closing, but let's still sing um, happy birthday to Chuck as we. Happy birthday.